Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre. Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo bookworms unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. It's Sandra. And it's Scott. So we were originally going to release this as a bonus episode, but, um, you know, things didn't work out that way. So it's just a real live episode and it's a horror episode. It's been a long time since we've recorded horror, and even though October is going to be all horror all the time, we wanted to give our horror fans a little bit of a taste. Yeah, because I can't go that long without reading horror, personally. So the book we decided to read um, was one of my most anticipated reads of the year, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. So we're going to discuss this book on this episode, and join us next week for a bonus episode where we, Sandra and I, and special guest Amanda... Yay! Finally, talk about Kendara Blake's third installment of the Three Dark Crowns trilogy, Two Dark Reigns. All right, let's do this. The Cabin at the End of the World. So this book that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. Um, this was one of my most anticipated reads of 2018. And now that I've read two books officially by this author, I'm very proud to say he is one of my favorite writers. Wow. I So how many books of his have you read then? I've read two. I've read this and I read Head Full of Ghosts. Okay, that's right. I mean, to be fair, I guess, you know, you should read like two books to determine if someone's a favorite author. But I think if you've read two and you love them, then you can consider that person a favorite. I don't know. There's no rules. Well, yeah, one book is this might be one of your favorite books. Two books is this might want to be one of your favorite authors. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so excited to do a horror episode. I'm even more excited to talk about this with everybody. Um, this is not a long book, so we're going to be very, very careful to not spoil anything until after the spoiler break. We're going to keep it all pretty vague in the first half here. Just try to catch your interest if you haven't had this book on your radar yet. Scott? Sandra. Should I read the synopsis? Please. I am actually going to read mostly the whole synopsis from the dust jacket of the book because I think that it's pretty succinct. Seven-year-old Wen and her parents, Eric and Andrew, are vacationing at a remote cabin on a quiet lake in northern New Hampshire. A handful of miles from the Canadian border, far removed from the bustle of city life, cut off from the urgent hum of cell phones and from the internet, they are more than two miles away from their closest neighbors in either direction along an old dirt logging road. On a cloudless summer day, as Wen catches grasshoppers in the front yard, a stranger unexpectedly appears. Leonard is the largest man Wen has ever seen, but he is young, twenty-four and a half years old, he tells her, and friendly, with a warm and wide smile that wins her over almost instantly. Leonard and Wen continue to talk and play until three more strangers, two women and a man, all dressed like Leonard in jeans and button-down shirts, come down the road carrying strange, menacing objects. In a panic, Wen tells Leonard that she must go back inside the cabin, but before she goes, her new friend tells her, none of what's going to happen is your fault. You haven't done anything wrong, but the three of you will have to make some tough decisions. I wish with all my broken heart you didn't have to. 
As Wen sprints away to warn her parents, Leonard calls out, Your dads won't want to let us in, Wen, but they have to. We need your help to save the world, please. So the dust jacket description makes it sound somewhat like a home invasion story or maybe a uh, cult story or a save the world story, things like that. And all of those are pretty accurate. Well, yeah, um, I like that you kind of, when you read that description, your mind kind of drifts to different sub genres of horror, but you don't really know which one it's going to be. You don't know where it's going to land, which is pretty apt way to describe this book it's it's actually kind of a unique book in in where it goes and and how it goes about it uh it was not what i was expecting but at the same time the dust jacket cover is a really good introduction to what this is going to be i agree so before we get too much into writing styling characters let's talk about our experience scores so in case you couldn't tell from what I've already said about this book in a sort of gushing manner. My experience score is Obsession. It's not a lawn book, but I still almost read it in two sessions. It is more than page turner, though. I mean, it's written as a page turner, but for me, it is Obsession. I will definitely be rereading this book more in my life. I will try to get more people to read this book. I am obsessed. I am obsessed with it. This was a difficult book for me to to score my experience on. Um, I almost read this book in one sitting. Um, I could have read this book in one sitting. It's not very long. Uh, and, and it was, I was really thinking page turner for a good portion of the book because it really, really is. And then there was, there was a point when I had to put the book down and I had to walk away for about a half an hour. What? I didn't know this. Yeah. I, I came back to it. And at that point it was really a struggle. <gasps> And I had to, I actually went to bed. I I put it down again and said, I need to sleep on this before I finish this story. But there was no doubt you were going to finish it. Oh, no doubt I was going to finish it. This wasn't a, oh, I need to, I need to sleep on it and decide if I want to. No, it was, okay. it was, I knew I wanted to finish it and find out what he was doing with this story, but it ended as a struggle, which is, I guess, a good horror book, but th- that was, that was, it was. It's very difficult for me to really score it because it was really a page turner until it really got to me. So, okay, I think that's the key right there is that it got to you. It's not anything to do with the book itself. It was your emotional response to it. Oh, absolutely. You know, and our experience score has nothing to do with the with the merit of the book. It's just personal. Uh, it's personal. It's just personal and 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 towards the end it actually was a struggle for me to finish it. Ooh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the writing style here. I love, 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 love his writing style. I mean, that should come as no surprise if this is an author that I'm like totally obsessed with and counting a favorite. Of course, I'm going to love his writing style. Um, I find his prose and dialogue so authentic. He has these similes and turn of phrase that make me pause and think or make me ooh and ah. Um, and I think that's really cool. Like his, his books, his words, they're just so incredibly readable to me. It's like having movie theater popcorn in front of me. I just keep like chomp, chomp, chomp. I can't stop. What I found interesting about, about the way that he wrote this book is the amount of description or the amount of emotional exploration that he needed for the scene would be determined by what character's voice 
you were hearing. Yes. So, you know, one character is very analytical, notices everything, like really absorbs every single detail around them. And when that kind of description was needed for a scene, he would jump to that character's perspective. Very seamlessly, in my opinion. And then there were some parts where it was really just about the emotion, what was going on, the fear, the stress. Kind of of the the temperature in the room. Right. And for those kind of scenes, he for for those moments in the story, he would switch to that character's perspective, who very much thought thought more in that sort of a way. I thought that was really unique. Would you agree with me that it's very seamless too, his transitions? Very smooth. I would for the most part agree, yes. Okay. There's a few chapters that are written in multiple perspectives where the rest are written in one and it's done very well. Yes. It's very, it's, it's very unique. It's, it, it really does kind of, it's difficult to wrap your head around that though. Right. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's so different. It's, it's, it's almost like a fourth person. It's, it's first person, but two different people at the same time. It's, it's I've never read anything like that before. So that's yeah. a little bit difficult. You kind of have to read it and experience it if you haven't yet to kind of know what Scott's talking about. Um, And really, I want to emphasize that there's nothing stuffy or pretentious about his writing. But you do have to turn your brain on a little bit. It is definitely a thinker for how quick of a read that it is. Yeah. Uh, As I was reading it and just blowing through it in one night... Sandra even said, are you are you taking your time on this book? I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And because I really did need to. Uh, it's 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 not dessert reading. I was worried that he was so scared that he was like just having to skim it like that. He was so disturbed. He's like, oh, I can't like read whole paragraphs of this novel. I never actually found myself scared in this book. Disturbed? It Disturbed? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're talking just turn the volume up to 11 it disturbed and affected me i wasn't scared it was horrifying but not scary um when i say scared i suppose i should clarify tension i had so much tension reading this book it is great at building suspense it is great at building suspense but it's also really good at creating moments that the suspense didn't build you to There are surprises. There are, I don't want to say jumps, but twists that you never think would happen. For me, those, I I hate to use the word twist because it sounds so tropey, but it's like you can kind of expect the unexpected in his writing and where the characters and where the story is going. Uh, yes. It's not like gimmicky twists. It's not, it, twist is, is not necessarily the right word. Choices. Yes. There are choices that Tremblay makes that are not telegraphed. And, well, okay, I won't even say that they aren't telegraphed, because in a way they are. They're just surprising. Yes. Um, He writes gore in a really nice way, too. Uh, nice isn't the word that I would use for it, but <laughs> yes, his gore is very descriptive. Oh, I think it's nice. I'm not surprised that you think it's nice. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm still a little bit of a a horror novice. Yes. Uh, But I will say that there's a really good level between disgusting, gross, (laughs) messy gore, but also not throwing it in your face constantly. It's not... It's not gratuitous. It's not rubbing your face in it. It's just there and it's icky and great <laughs> a little stomach churning perhaps 
So um, I don't want to go too into depth about specific characters, because I think that's part of uncovering this story. But I will say, um, I really felt a connection to his characters. I think he does a nice way of presenting a sampling of different personality types and people with their own feelings and emotions and agendas. And it doesn't, um, doesn't get repetitive. And it's not like horribly, horribly tropey any of these characters. Uh, this is more of that family dynamic horror kind of subgenre I've been talking about on our show that I'm super into. This like totally fills that niche for me, which I love. Well, something I appreciate about the way that he writes his characters and why that I felt so connected to all of them is that he doesn't hide anything from the reader. Correct. I mean, you don't know everything about every character in this book. He doesn't lay down an entire history of their childhood and them growing up necessarily for, you know, eight chapters before you actually get to know the character. But there's nothing that there's no there's no secret moment that's hidden until the very end. There's no it, there's I call it an authenticity or something like that's kind of the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Um. I also really, really loved his depiction of when the seven year old girl in this story who's there with her dads and they get into this um, unimaginably horrifying scenario, um, I found her so adorable and so intelligently written while still being a kid. Um, and I really appreciated that. Like, she's obviously, she's a smart little cookie, but um, she's still believable as a child. I also like the way that he writes Wen's dads. Uh, it's, it's written as a really nice relationship between the two, and the two characters are 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 really great. But more importantly, while it's it is a thing that they are, you know, two two gay fathers, it's not important that they are. It's there. It is something that is relevant to their characters as people, but it's not. The story doesn't revolve around that. That's not important to the the story at all. And it allows them to just grow and be people as opposed to being defined by their sexuality. I think I understand what you're saying. And I appreciate the diversity. I appreciate the reflection of what a real family in America in this situation uh, could be. And I did like Eric and Andrew's um, relationship to each other. I found them to be like, <laughs> regardless of if they were hetero or homosexual, they're just a, like a healthy relationship and a healthy family. And even though the family dynamic gets tested and discussed in this horror context, I appreciated that they weren't like all backbiting and mean and secretly like hating each other or their child or anything like that. Like it's very slice of life in American family in this situation. Yeah. So appeal score for this is going to be a little bit tricky. Um, as always, sometimes it it's hard to like say it's 100% for this audience or for that audience. But after some careful consideration, I'm decided to go with general. So here's why I say general. Uh, the subject matter, being a horror novel, after all, is not for the faint of heart uh, and not for the weak, <laughs> but it could be a nice transition into horror for readers who like literary fiction and contemporary fiction, but want to get into the horror genre. There's some really horrifying stuff that happens, and it's going to test you and push the limit and push the envelope, because that's the nature of the genre. But his writing is so approachable 
and intelligent that I think if people are like, yeah, I, I've kind of wanted to get into horror, he could be a nice voice to kind of bridge you there. I wholeheartedly agree. Oh, good. Uh, I, I, I'm giving it the same general appeal score. It's a lot more than a run-of-the-mill horror story. There's nothing wrong with with a run-of-the-mill horror story, but those are directed towards horror fans. This goes up beyond that. There's things in this story and there's things about this book that appeals to a larger audience. I want to give it a higher score, but there are some really difficult themes for a lot of different sensitivity levels that makes it very hard. I'm picking up what you're saying, I think. And like I said, I I never questioned whether or not I would finish this book, but I definitely fall into that category of if I wasn't already a little bit inoculated by you <laughs> into horror, yeah. I don't know if I could have finished this book. Oh my, that's almost like the best endorsement you can give a horror book or movie. I, I suppose that's true. Uh, <laughs> And I, I do impress upon our listeners, if you're not normally our one of our horror listeners, I think that this is one of the horror books that you should really consider taking a look at. Right, because if you want to get into it, I think um, Paul Tremblay's uh, beautiful pen will guide you there. So yeah, guys, we're going to get into the spoiler section here after the break. But if you want a novel a suspense and tough tough decisions and themes wide-ranging from religious and relationship and paranoia and just such, such suspense. Read Cabin at the End of the World, please. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Welcome back to the spoiler section. And like, if I could just start spouting off a stream of expletives, that would be perfect. But I'm going to try to be more eloquent than that. <laughs> oh this book. Oh this book. Oh this book. Um It's a lot of, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot contained in a very nice little package. And he goes there, people. He goes there. Now obviously if you're listening to the spoiler section, you don't care about what we're going to say or you've read the book and you want to talk about it with somebody. So feel free to scream along as you're driving along in your car, running on the side of the road or whatever you're doing while you listen to our show. Kill the kid. Uh, so taboo to kill the child in these situations, but it was very important for the progress of this novel. It was, and, and I and I recognize that. I, I think you probably know that that's the point when I put it down for 30 minutes and, and walked away from it last night. I had trouble with that scene. Um, it was handled gracefully. Oh, it was. It wasn't gratuitous. But there was still descriptions of how of how her face disappeared in a mist of red and that yeah i'm having trouble with that right now i'm 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 uh well it's supposed to be emotional because this is a a person and it's a little person that we've come to love and really care about and and all the other characters in this book care about her and something really freaking horrible this accident 
takes her out of the equation and there's no magic. There's no, and oh, when's really not gone or oh, then when's going to come back? It's like, no, whatever happens at the outcome of this novel, now her parents and everyone else involved needs to be like, okay, she's gone. What made it hard for me and what almost makes it a uh, a, a problem in the book, ultimately, I, I'm voicing how I felt when I walked away. I, I came around a little bit differently, but what concerned me at that point is that I didn't know if I cared anymore when she died. Kind of like her father's. I, exactly. That's the point, I think. Her death, you're right, absolutely served the story. It had to happen for the emotional weight that he wanted to carry yes. in that book. The rest of the book is is completely informed by that moment. Right, because her fathers need to decide how to move on from this. And also while facing this possibly apocalyptic situation. Okay, so let's talk about that apocalyptic situation. Um, I love horror and books in general, but especially horror books and movies that have ambiguous endings. I love ambiguity. I love when a creator gives you all the tools, all the ingredients, and says, I trust you to fill in the gaps how you need to. Um, it's kind of almost like choose your own adventure for me, and I really like it. I mean, of course, there's people who could do it in a really lazy way because they couldn't end something, but I don't think that's the case in a lot of horror people who end things with ambiguity. And I, you know, I always lean towards the supernatural, the paranormal explanation. So I would like to think that the apocalypse happens. But what is really important is the love story between these two men and that it doesn't matter. Not in a nihilistic way, but because they have each other. I found that so beautiful and so romantic. Well, I want to talk about the ambiguity of the ending because you know how I feel about ambiguity in general. And this is the kind of ambiguity that I am okay with. Oh, good. There was a really strong, there were two really strong threads throughout the book. Uh, one was given pretty much right off the bat of, hey, it's the, the apocalypse and one of you is going to have to kill another one of you. Then there's another thread that builds through the story, but still creates a very solid argument of them being under a mass delusion and using real science when they're talking about these these people who meet on message boards and oh, yes. share in these mass delusions. That is that is absolutely real. And the behavior of people in cult situations, yes. Right. And so this book provides you with two different options, you know, two different basic options, and you can choose whichever one you want. Mm -hmm. You can choose whichever one you want in whatever moment you decide to choose it. Oh, I definitely vacillated. I've gone back and forth. I mean, I finished the book two hours ago. I've gone back and forth multiple times on on not what I think, on what I want the ending to be. And I totally like word vomited my like emotions about this book right there. But I do think that that was the most poignant thing to take away from it for me is even though I love nihilism, this was not a nihilistic ending. This was at its core, a love story, like between these two people. And, and it's like, it doesn't matter if it's the end of the world or not, because they will not hurt each other. They love each other. Oh, it made me so happy. It made me just want to throw my arms around my my husband and give him a big old kiss. It just makes me sad that that for a story that is about a love story that um their love ends up being more important than their child. 
I mean, the fact that Wen is dead and at the end the story is about their love for each other still, it's 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 a difficult pill for me to swallow. I'm not I'm not saying this as a as a as a knock against the book. I, I it's just hard for me to accept that. Oh, I completely I don't agree with you on that because I think that Wen was incredibly important to them. Is incredibly important to them. Oh no, her importance to them is paramount. What I'm saying is that that um the most powerful thing in this book is their love for each other. Well, I think it's more of a familial love. It's not just romantic love. Um, oh, yeah, uh, th- them staying together represents when too is how I interpreted that. And it's because you know how it is when you're married to somebody and you really love them, that person is family to you. It's all part of the family unit. Um, one thing that's funny, we talked about how much we liked the characters and we liked these two, these two guys, these two men, um, Wen's daddies. And it's like, you read about this family and you love all three of them and you're like, what the fuck? Why couldn't we pick another family? Like some weird supersized family that has like 25 people in it and like somebody could go missing. <laughs> like nobody would notice. Yeah, go, go hunt down the Duggars or something. No, let's not name names. There's so many of them. I mean... I mean, come on, like, let's find like some really huge family where it's like, okay, like, yeah, we could we could get rid of this one. Why does it have to be this nice family? Duggars are perfect. There's even so many J's. Like, like, there's. I mean, who even remembers like Joy Ann? Like, is that one of them? I, I mean, it's just, they'll just replace it with another J. Yeah. <laughs> Don't send those angry letters about I know. the Duggars. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, but I guess that's what makes it um, special and poignant is that it's a family you love. If it was a family of people who hated each other or didn't get along or had a lot of secret animosity, it wouldn't be moving. It would just be like, yeah, these are some assholes and they kill one of each other. I know. I, I guess I guess really just I'm having a lot of trouble coming to terms with the fact that Wen dies in this book. It's I know. I hated it. It's, it's a lot. And it, and it goes against a lot of... This is, again, not a bad thing, but it goes against a lot of tradition in storytelling, it's a taboo. lot of rules. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it's taboo to kill the kids or the dog. And we've read some horror books this year where all that happens. Yeah, we're we're kind of in a pretty, pretty long stretch of bad kids and dead animals. <laughs> I guess that's the way it is now. Maybe nothing's taboo anymore. Um, Something about this one just felt that way, though. It's not like A, a Quiet Place. At the beginning, no, the movie not, A Quiet yeah, Place. Not really a spoiler. When the when the I guess he's supposed to be four years old, but he looks a lot older than that kid is killed by the creature. Yeah, I mean that's very sad, and and it, and it went there and all of that. But something about this just felt wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. So I want to play a little game. <laughs> I want to play a game. Spot all of the all of the sevens in this book. Oh yes, there's a wonderful um, theme of seven. Uh, that's part of the intelligence of his writing is that he leaves you these little uh, thematic breadcrumbs throughout. Um, I loved all the seven, and my favorite representation of seven is when seven grasshoppers who are trapped in the jar, like they're trapped in the cabin, and you don't know if they're going to live or die. Um, I mean, it's obviously, it's it's very meta, it's contained, and I ate it up with a spoon. I didn't, it didn't occur to, I, I caught a lot of sevens. There was, you know, the seven of the petals, there were seven weapons on, on, there were seven items on the weapons, 
there was seven of them in the house. That's one that I actually didn't catch until after I read the book. I was doing the math in my head. But wait a minute. There was seven in the house. And I don't know why I didn't get that while I was reading. Uh, there's a beautiful theme of claustrophobia in this book. Even though they're in a cabin in the middle of the woods, and it shouldn't feel that they are trapped. They're so trapped. And they're trapped in this prison of emotions and of choices. Did you like that? Did you like any of, any of that? <laughs> I was very dis- it, it did feel very claustrophobic, especially in that the characters were almost claustrophobic in in themselves. Well, particularly because, the four the four horsemen who came. Well, because they're so apologetic. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be doing this. I'm so sorry that you're in this situation. Like, you know, oh, here, let me get you some food. Are you like comfortable? Um, You, you know, like they're so like, <laughs> they're so just like, quote unquote, normal people who are in this crazy situation. And it's hard to not make it awkward. It's so awkward. I would have liked if one of the characters, one of the horsemen in particular, had more of an attitude of, hey, we're all in this together. Not in a positive, uplifting way, just a less apologetic and more, this sucks for all of us. I feel like Leonard kind of represented that at times. He he definitely was having the biggest struggle with all of this. Oh, I mean, they all they were all struggling and he was definitely struggling. But he, at the end of the day, still felt really just bad for the family, that he had to involve the family in this. I, I again... This is just something that I'm kind of thinking of right now. I probably would have liked it if one of them was just, doesn't this suck? We all have to do this. All seven of us have to do this. Doesn't feel guilty about it because they're they're just part of it too. I guess Redmond is kind of like that. But he's such an ass. He really is an ass. And but I think that's possibly, where that comes from. And he's possibly the homophobic um, bastard. I like that they didn't really answer that either. He may or may not have been. Yeah, I liked that too. I liked that open-endedness to that part of the story. Um, How did you feel about the treatment of religion? Because one thing that I just wanted to say first is that um, I liked that our cultists were not religious. They, I mean, obviously they know there's a higher power guiding them in this, but they weren't like... They didn't have any, like, clarity on what this being is or if it's, like, what denomination or whatever. It's vaguely Christian. It's pseudo-Christian apocalypse. And, but, but their actual, their realization of it has, has no real bearing in any sort of religion. I really liked Eric's viewpoint bringing a Catholic upbringing uh, belief structure to what was happening. So powerful. And it still doesn't beat you over the head with it, which I appreciate. Uh, It doesn't, it's not like, okay, he's the one who realizes what's going on or, or, or browbeats you into, okay, this is a Catholic thing. It's just, he's able to translate it differently than everybody else. And his, his experience and his take on, on everything fills the gaps. Um, I thought Eric's Catholicism was very beautiful and very poignant because his husband is agnostic and very, very logic, science, psychology based man. And there's points where it's like, we know that Eric is not a, he's not a Christmas Catholic. He goes like a couple times a month and they want when to be raised with um, freedom to choose her own religion, which is like super important to me, I think. But um, he feels like he's not telling her something. Like it's like a secret. 
He's hiding he's part hiding of himself the, from her. He's hiding the good news because he obviously believes it. And he, you know, he wants to spread the good news and he can't. And, you know, and then there's arguably uh, people of that religion that would not agree with his lifestyle, including his own family and that, you know, and who he loves. And so he's kind of at war with it. But at the same time, he's also at peace with it. I don't know. I thought it was very poignant. Well, all it's not just about the religion. Uh, both both Eric and Andrew, they are highly communicative with each other. And when they agree to do something, when they agree on something, they both follow through with it. Uh, so with a lot of difficulty behind it, but they're still they're still a unit in their decisions. Yeah, and that's part of like that healthy relationship stuff <laughs> that I really liked with um, this married couple. I liked how there was a lot of give and take in their relationship as far as that is concerned. Yeah. I I really felt for Eric having to feel like he was keeping his his spirituality a secret from his daughter and and, and in some respects even his own husband. But I, I appreciate that the respect that the two of them had for each other and their own desires to raise their daughter the way that they both felt collectively how it should be done. Yeah, very, very cool. And I'm sure very relatable for a lot of families out there. I like how the the four horsemen, let's call them, as well as the couple, um, at times really questioned their sanity and not in a not in the ways it was expected. Like, you know, with Eric starting to see and hear the flies all the time. Um, I loved that. The flies that were like everywhere and the buzzing. And it's like, well, he has been concussed, perhaps. That is the issue, but um, like I love that and seeing the uh the figure of light as well, and it's like, is he really seeing this, or does he think he's seeing this? I get the impression that Tremblay is a man who has been concussed because the way that he writes <laughs> Eric's concussion is very relatable to someone who has been concussed. <laughs> Right, and he's like not getting to like heal from his concussion, and so you're like, oh, I don't know, this is this is this could be real, this could not be real. I mean, medically, there's some things that they probably shouldn't but should have been doing for him since he was so strongly concussed that they weren't doing. But that that confusion, that sensitivity, that um, those hallucinations, if they were hallucinations, those are real things. Can I just talk about a geeky horror thing for a moment? Yes. How sick were those weapons, though? Yeah, I had a lot of trouble visualizing the weapons. Because they're crazy looking. That's why it's cool. They're, I just, I, I had this image in my head of these like Christmas trees of garden tools. <laughs> you <laughs> know? Kind of were. I had to, I had to read through those weapons multiple times because they were just, I, I cannot even imagine how I would fabricate something like that for, for the film or for anything because they're just, they're, they're just so scattershot. I would love to see Tremblay sketch out each one of the weapons. Well, I, I think that's part of the, um, the kind of cool thing about them is because like Redman made them and it was like in his like vision to make them because they're not anything people would normally think to make. They're not even functional. They're I mean, barely functional. Not, I mean, one of them is like kind of kind of two sided with like a hammer on one end and kind of like an axe on the other. Like, but there's like other little gizmos and <laughs> gadgets attached to it that kind of just like I. I, well, it's effective because people managed to get harmed and dispatched by the tools. 
Well, yeah, but you can kind of do that with anything with a with with a pointy bit and a and a, and a hard backbone. <laughs> and 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 actually, come to think of it, they're not even really all that effective at dispatching people. It takes a lot. They had to they had to beat Redmond like fifty <laughs> times until the dude. Oh my died. god, it was brutal. They had to just will the tar out of the man. I mean, and it, I guess maybe he. It seems like he deserved it. He. They definitely set up that. Okay, the 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 worst one of the four was the first one to go. Which I was happy about that. That's actually also opposite of a typical horror trope, right? Because normally you want to keep the ass guy or girl around for a while to kind of like build tension. But and and I like how Sabrina. Somebody says, "Oh, it's like I was in a trance," and it's like, "Yeah, but nobody liked him." I mean, right? Like, yeah, I'm that's sure, why he yeah. was the easiest one. To go. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody misses Redmond. Um, the bird flu is the one that's the hardest to make an argument for that it was a real apocalypse. The tsunamis, the earthquakes, the planes all at the same time. That's all pretty like, oh yeah, this is this is paranormal. But the bird flu, that was smart because that's the that was like my kind of the one that was really holding me back because I'm like they could It's been going on for months. Exactly. Uh, even even the tsunami thing, like they knew about that beforehand and sure. decided to decided to do it. I mean, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, I think Tremblay did envision this as being the actual apocalypse. Um, I think that there's enough in there that pretty much points to it pretty solidly. In particular, the planes. Yes. Uh, you know th- that's something that while yeah, you can kind of. You can really point to a, a, a specific thing and say, oh, yeah, well, falling from the sky, that could mean literally anything. Yeah. Yes. But I I could turn on the TV right now and watch for 30 minutes and not find something that is at all relatable to something as, as things falling from the sky. Right. Like that one's pretty. Mm, I don't know. That seems pretty suspicious to me that something's going on. Um. One last thing that I had forgotten to say earlier that I liked about the cultists, if you will, and their kind of fluctuating religion and fluctuating belief um, is, you know, especially at the end when Sabrina's like, yeah, let's get out of here. We're not doing this anymore. Screw all this. Um, And she's really questioning what kind of a god would make them do this. And it's like, oh, what if it wasn't like God? What if it's like, like the devil or something that like put this idea in their heads? Like, that's really scary too. But nobody ever stopped to consider that. They just thought like, oh, we have to do this to save the world. And it's like, but what if this was something really like evil that planted this seed? And at the end, she ends up still doing it. She ends up still killing herself. And I think she just can't live with it. Well, I think finding the gun in the, in the bag by the, you know, by the keys, I think that was the the snapping point for her again. Just, okay, for her, I think that meant, okay, I was always supposed to come here. This was always part of the plan. I'm not actually working against the force. I'm following through on the prophecy. Yeah, that was like her like, oh, man, I can't escape this. They say repeatedly they can never escape it. On the, on the other side of it, it's also just possible that some one of them put it there because it was just part of their their backup plan. Yes. Oh, so smart. Even now, we're still like, is it? Was it? Isn't it? I don't know. Somebody help me. I need an adult. But I, I, I it, and if, let's just say that that's the truth. Let's say that that none of this is real. It's not an apocalypse, and they're all nuts. That is that is a really good proving mechanism that you can find a reason in anything like if you if you are 
conscripted enough and you are if you are a believer enough you will find the the sign you're looking for Mm -hmm. in almost anything yeah which is a very powerful message and theme in and of itself so we thought of a really fun execution score scott do you want to pose it and i will answer first i would love to pose it uh this is our score it doesn't have to be any special number that that we know that anyone else else uses uh how many plagues out of seven would you say that Tremblay executed on this story? Oh, man. Uh, so many great plagues. Uh, each one a hit. Everyone's got a favorite, right? But um, I'm going to I'm gonna throw in a few extra plagues, and I'm going to give this ten plagues over and above. It broke the scale. All the plagues. That's cheating. Okay. I said there were no rules, but there are rules. Fine. Seven. <laughs> Full no, plagues. No, ten, ten plagues out of seven. That's fine. <laughs> All the plagues. Um, yeah, so all the plagues, all of it, love it. I'm obsessed with this book. I'm obsessed with this man and his writing. I uh, I love it. I love it. I'm so fangirl into what he's doing and the product he's creating. If you haven't read this book, you listen to the spoiler sections, you're weird. But I hope you've read or will read Head Full of Ghosts which is also being turned into a movie, being directed by one of my favorite directors, Oz Perkins. So you're running out of time to read it, I guess. It's in pre-production, so get on it. So I don't know if I could say that I enjoyed, like ultimately enjoyed The Cabinet at the End of the World, but um, as far as execution, I don't think that there is anything that I could realistically tell Paul Tremblay that he could have done differently in this book. It is so incredibly well constructed that that removing any part or changing any part, it's it's like playing Jenga. It can make the whole thing fall apart. I have to give it seven full plagues out of seven as far as execution. Yes. It is, it is masterfully written and it is so purposely executed. I, I, I think it's I think as far as as how it was written, it is perfect. That makes me so happy to hear. And, and Scott, I feel like you've really earn, earned your horror stripes. Oh, okay. Um, Congratulations. I feel like we should have some sort of a ceremony. You think that this is the book that has really uh, uh, earned me my stripes? Well, because you gave it such full marks. I can appreciate it for what it is without saying that I liked it. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, Scott. Uh, thank you, Sandra. And as always, please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.